0: pray with me Come Holy Spirit and fill the hearts of your faithful Kindle within us the fire of your love and may my words and our hearts together glorify you O oh God our rock and our redeemer Amen In recent days I think we've all heard the words don't panic, be prepared. And so we've done that, right? We've gone out to various places, we've purchased things, some of us more than probably we will ever need through the end of the year. We have uh, washed our hands faithfully, we are keeping social distance, we are wearing uh, disposable gloves to pump our gas and to do other things. I mean, We are doing all these things in order to be prepared for this medical crisis, what has been called now by the World Health Organization a pandemic of the COVID-19 virus. But government and health officials have offered no wisdom on how to prepare our souls as fear and uncertainty make their mark on us. And for folks like me who are masters at catastrophic thinking, um, we need soul wisdom. We need to hear and speak the truth to each other about our reality. No matter how uncomfortable it is, we need to speak the truth to each other. Just about three weeks ago, two and a half weeks now, we we met for an Ash Wednesday service. Uh, you may have met at another church. We met here with Greenland Hills United Methodist Church, and all of us made our way up to the altar and received the mark of ashes. And that Ash Wednesday marks the six-week period in which we, as I said earlier, self-reflect and We seek to repent, to go the other way, to make something better of our lives in the six weeks as we prepare our hearts for the celebration, the highest celebration in our faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we call Easter. You know, um, those ashes that we received are designed to remind us of our fragility, and of the uncertainty of human life so that we might turn and rely on God. You know, it is such an important thing. It is so important that we spend six weeks in the same state of mind. That Ash Wednesday service reminds us of the impermanence of everything, the fundamental flux of life, And Christians spend that day and that evening displaying that reality on our foreheads. It is a mark of uncertainty. It is a mark of impermanence. It is a mark of the fluctuality of life and the fragility of it. And it's it's our hope, I think, that during this six weeks of Lent that we through our spiritual practices whatever they are worshiping online praying together even though we're scattered at different times during the day uh, reading our Bible or some other devotional device Um, it's our hope that in this six weeks we actually take a hard look at our reality well and what better way, then, to look at our reality and to face something we have absolutely no control over, a virus that we can't even see? Part of that reality is the ashy truth that none of this lasts. And neither scientist nor charismatic leader is going to swoop in and save us and make it go away. So, I want to take all of what's going on in our reality and superimpose this Bible lesson on top of it because I think it has a lot to say to us. So, you probably know this story. You may have heard it many, many times. It is often used in this third week, third Sunday of Lent. And I remind you that in Jesus' day, Samaritans were the descendants of generations of an intermarriage between Jews left behind after the Babylonian exile and Gentile descendants of the conquering Assyrians who settled in that region of Israel. So Samaritans and Jews shared a common heritage, but they were also quite different. The Samaritans worshipped at the Mount of Gerasim, in Samaria, and the Jews held instead that proper worship was to be in the temple in Jerusalem. Jews and Samaritans were enemies of the highest order. Their similarities only sharpened their contempt for each other. So that knowledge makes this story scandalous, on two counts. You see, Jews uh, use the word Samaritan as we might use the word heathen. Or whatever word you have for somebody who doesn't believe and think the way you do. The writer of the Gospel of John presents this dialogue as part of a larger pattern that exists in the whole of the Gospel of John where Jesus is teaching and trying to move people to a new place in their thought and in their living. And, and almost all of the people he talks to takes what he is saying literally. When Jesus even says in, in the Gospel of John, I'm teaching of heavenly things. But people take him literally. I mean, you know, at the end of the Gospel of John, when Jesus is with his friends and family of choice and disciples at the Last Supper, He uh, says, um, This is my body. Take and eat. And all the people present are like, Whoa, that's a little dramatic. And they say, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So people in the gospel misunderstanding Jesus' teaching should function as an all important cautionary signal to us when we're reading don't take Jesus' words so literally. Well, that's a good word for us today, too, isn't it? You see, Jesus is trying hard to move people to understand that holiness is getting ready to erupt out of the bounds that it has been stuck in, that holiness is going to erupt out of the temple of Jerusalem and off of the Mount of Gerasim. And this... Um, this eruption of holiness is going to happen also to us and our churches. It's happening now. And it will give way to a, a more widespread and direct mode of engaging God personally and as communities and as people. Which is why right now we need to see Jesus inviting this woman at the well, this Samaritan woman, this heathen woman from a Jewish perspective to a far greater reality than what she lives in and so invites us as well. What's stark about this conversation between this woman and Jesus is two or three things. The first is that um, they're breaking taboos. Jesus is a religious teacher speaking to a woman in public, and that just was uh, not to be in that culture. And and Jews and Samaritans were just not to interact together. And so Jesus is breaking down the political religious barriers of his day. from the outset, Jesus' language signals to those who are listening to this story an unconventional meaning of the word water. Just as he does later for bread as his body. For here, water that comes from the ground or from the clouds is not what he's speaking about. But a water, sparkling water, a washing over us water that harkens back to the Jews leaving Egypt and Moses getting water from a rock, and the sparkling water that washes over us in our baptisms Water, for those who receive it, means thirst is banished. This is something more than physical thirst, then. Jesus is talking about a deeper, more profound form of nourishment and well-being. Do you hear that? Do you hear that right now? in all of our stresses about what's going on in our country and in the world, that include this COVID-19 virus, but many, many other things that are creating stresses for us, things that we have no control over, that we are invited into a deeper, more profound form of nourishment and well-being that Jesus offers to us in a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine this week's story highlights two consequences of Jesus' instructions and how Jesus would have us follow in his way. The first is that we are called upon to dismantle the vices, divisive hierarchies, whoever they are shutting out. We are called to dismantle those. And you know what's interesting is I think this whole worship on the Internet thing is doing some of that. And second, that we live in a way that bridges religious and ethnic sectarian divides, like the one between the Jews and the Samaritans. And that one's going to be hard for us because we have strong opinions about our religious beliefs, don't we? And yet we are called to bridge the divides. Then we will be better able to see and understand and live within that reality that Jesus is inviting us into. We will see For ourselves, Jesus in plain sight, right in our midst. It's worth remembering that the Gospel of John was written after the Roman armies had destroyed Jerusalem and Jerusalem's temple, which is a period both Jews and Christians alike were in great distress over. The the centerpiece of their culture and their worship had been completely destroyed. In short, they were living in a new reality, just like we're now living in a new reality. And I remind you that our new reality now is not something new, because after World War II and Pearl Harbor, we lived in a new reality, and after 9-11, we lived in a new reality and now we're living in a new reality. And that new reality doesn't mean that God is absent from us. Rabbinic Judaism eventually refigured the temple in the home. And for early Christians, Jesus becomes the new reality of a new intimacy with God A new conception of the temple, not as a building, but as a person. In spirit and in truth, the gospel today says, Jesus himself is the word made flesh, and the church is the body of Jesus Christ. At its heart, Jesus' mission is about dismantling barriers that keep us apart from God and neighbor, And in that sense, his mission is finally facing reality as it is and within that living as a just, kind, and humble human life. And isn't it funny that his mission was about dismantling barriers that keep us apart, and now here we have this worship where we're all apart. And yet, the Holy Spirit comes to us greets us and welcomes us to be in relationship. And Because of the time in which we are living, we have the capacity to be in relationship, to see each other even though we are apart, to be with each other even though we are apart. Roger L. Owen, professor of Christian spirituality and ministry at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary, wrote a whole article on how Lent can help prepare us or a pandemic. And, and I read that article and it was so moving to me. It spoke exactly to what I think this scripture today and what we are experiencing. In it uh, he quotes uh, Thomas Merton the great Catholic theologian and spiritualist as saying, I wonder if there are 20 people alive in the world now who see things as they really are. They are the ones who are holding everything together and keeping the universe from falling apart. See how powerful that idea of seeing things as they really are is? I have quoted a similar quote like that from another source, but Merton says it very clearly, to see things as they really are. Now, you know, this is important because many of us right now, we are, Catastrophically thinking. Or we are magically thinking that there's something magical is going to happen and end this pandemic. Or we're catastrophically thinking and thinking of, oh, what if this happens and what if this happens, the what-if syndrome. But look, if we look at reality, two things happen. First, if we Look at reality, we understand that things are only as bad as they are, not as we imagine them to be. The universe isn't falling apart, but often the universes we've created fall apart. They have before, they will again. But things are only as bad as they are, not as we imagine them to be. And secondly, Things are also no better than they are, as our daydreaming and our miracle cure or the uninformed reassurances of some political leaders would have us believe. Things are also not better than they are. They are what they are. And there's nobody going to swoop in and save us from the universal conditions of fragility and vulnerability and uncertainty or from the particular ways those conditions manifest themselves, the disruption of our routines, the economic uncertainty, the serious illness, or even death. So I guess we would just hope then that our Lenten spiritual practices would relieve us of these ways of thinking, catastrophically and magically. If that happens, then we're actually freed to embrace what spiritual wisdom people and saints have taught us. It is called the duty of the present moment. You don't have to believe that present circumstances are willed by God in order to believe that the present reality of uncertainty, which is fragility, and the decline and decline is actually a vehicle for God's love and grace. Did you hear that? God has ways. God didn't will this, I don't believe. God didn't make this happen. But God will work within this to offer love and grace. I mean, think about it. Think about it right now. People on Facebook are posting that they will help somebody who can't get out to get groceries, to run errands that can't be, that are, are truly isolated or on next door. You know, a neighbor of mine posted on next door yesterday. I'm able to go out, and I am ready to help anybody in our neighborhood who needs help. If I, if I can take you somewhere or if I can run errands for you, and all kind of people responded. And you tell me that God is absent from us? Certainly not. So it is that as we address the reality of our lives, God's grace frees us to ask, what does this moment, what does this reality require of me? For some of us, it will be to do our best to graciously and with patience quarantine ourselves. Others of us, like my neighbor, will reach out and say, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm healthy. I'm going to set aside my fears and my penchant towards self-preservation, and I'm going to help people who need it. Most of us will most of us will uh, be in the present moment that calls us to listen to experts and prepare thoughtfully as we endure our self, self-imposed staycation. But in the midst of that work, the duty of the moment calls for something else as well. And that is calls for looking and loving in realistic ways, even in all our vulnerability. And to lean into our Lenten practices of knowing the reality of God, who is named Emmanuel, who is God with us. Who is Emmanuel, Spirit and God with us to see Jesus in plain sight, in the lives and in the eyes and in the souls of others, and in and in the Spirit of God to see it, Jesus in plain sight within us and between us and beyond us and among us, and and then maybe in knowing that reality and that truth, then perhaps we can practice the words of the great mystic Julian of Norwich. She had a vision of the presence of God never leaving her, and in that vision heard a voice say to her, all shall be well, and all shall be well. Every manner of thing shall be well. Come, friends. Come, drink the living water of wholeness and well-being, the living water. Come and drink the living water and thirst no more. May that reality be so for all of us. Amen.